You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello everyone, Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, DreamWorks Animation produces a shark tale from their megamind. Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 or to seal their fate through the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and I am from Metrocity. And I'm Thomas Mariani, and I am part of the great crime family of sharks out there. Adam, we've talked about me being Italian. I'm actually a shark. That's the big secret reveal for this episode. I'm actually a shark. Yeah, I believe it. Not, not like a tough-ass gray-white, though. No. You're like I'm... one of the little bottom feeders that you buy at the fish store. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Me familia. That's what we all do. We're the secret bottom feeders. That's what we are. But, uh, Adam, we're not alone here, because we have a returning guest, uh, one we love having on, especially for animation-focused episodes. Uh, he's our own uh, little fish head inside of, uh, you know, a little bowl that has a giant gorilla robot body on underneath it it is scott johnson scott welcome back hello i will be your smug face aficionado for this dreamworks episode oh do you have your eyebrow cocked up yes i do Ooh, get ready for attitude from scott but anyway uh we are here to talk about dreamworks animation uh, is our topic because uh we are recording this episode the week of uh shrek's 20th anniversary which is weird to think about um, especially <laughs> considering, like, I still remember when Shrek came out, uh, even though I was younger, and I remember that really just uh, changing a lot of things, because, Scott, as the animation sort of historian, you can definitely say that uh, DreamWorks Animation, along with, like, Pixar shortly before it, but definitely DreamWorks especially, really helped, I think, shape uh, Western animation for better and maybe worse? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, DreamWorks came out at this really interesting time where if you look into the history of animation revolving DreamWorks, the name who comes up all the time is Jeffrey Katzenberg. And any story you read about him is Jeffrey Katzenberg was an asshole and then he did this. He created this huge corporation with Steven Spielberg and David Geffen, which is why it says SKG at the end of the, the logo, uh, basically to create this huge idea. Now, Katzenberg was not allowed to make live-action movies, but he ended up really blending in with animation well, and he would take a lot of the ideas that he had heard or made creatively through Spite and channel them into making the studio with several other people involved, including Amblin Animation, uh, Pacific Data Images, and even working out with Ardman. I think the goal of DreamWorks was to, like, 
beat Disney at their own game, but also have cartoons that had like this more like winky adult sensibilities to really reach out to the greatest audience as far as possible. Yeah, I think you can say that like because Katzenberg obviously had come from Disney, which we kind of talked about in our last Disney episode. That he was like the big spearhead of that animation division, and then when Spielberg uh, decided to make a new studio, which DreamWorks just in general was like the first big studio in quite a while that was attempted that wasn't like a small indie. It was like a big actual studio that made movies for the first time in like ever. And uh, you can tell that Katzenberg, I agree, did kind of have this edge where either he wanted to make like these kind of winky nods that you get with like Shrek um, that were a bit more adult and like not your daddy's animated movie or also big sweeping epics like he had kind of done with like Beauty and the Beast and some of the other stuff with Disney like because their first two movies are Ants and Prince of Egypt which immediately has like the calling card of like yeah we can make big sweeping giant epic animated movies or uh, not your daddy's animated movies because we got Woody Allen in here a thing that won't age badly at all. Yeah, no, you know, that's the thing. Uh, very, very, uh, no, it's terrible. It's all terrible. <laughs> I, I got nothing for that. That's, that's awful. <laughs> but uh, Adam, uh, you know, Scott and I Scott and I were a bit younger when DreamWorks sort of started rising up at that point. Um, how how were, did you react to some of these uh, anime movies they put out, especially as, like, Pixar was still kind of rising up at the time? Oh, man, I got to be honest. I did not give two shits. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I... I you know, by that time, I had kind of, like, not necessarily stopped liking animated movies, but it wasn't necessarily, like, I wasn't seeking them out. So, yeah, I do remember, like, Prince of Egypt coming out. I remember Ants coming out because it was, like, everyone's like, oh, it's just a ripoff of Bugs Life and all that stuff. Uh, however, I do really, really vividly remember sort of the uh, global phenomenon that was Shrek. I mean, it was huge, man, and it was fucking everywhere i mean every fast food place even had shrek burgers like hardy's had a shrek frisco burger it was quite in a way exciting because you know disney had sort of had already had their big huge like comeback renaissance or whatever you want to call it with like you know starting with little mermaid and going forward and then like you said pixar is just starting and then all of a sudden here's this other big company throwing their sort of gloves into the into the fight and uh Others have tried before, but, I mean, they're still going strong. I mean, quality or not, you know, as we'll get into tonight. But, I mean, they're still pumping them out, man. They're still making a lot of money doing it. So, I mean, as we say whatever you will about Katzenberg, which, by the way, I heard somewhere, this might be a rumor, he is an actual cat, right? Like, that is a thing. He secretly greenlit cats. That's that's the big... That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's actually a cat. Yes, he is. Uh, I tie this now. He would um, see, uh, he would see Puss in Boots and like, that's me, that's me. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, good. I'm glad we're all on the same page here. But yeah, no. So I mean, for that alone, it, it's kind of a fascinating thing. Just a contender to almost to the throne. I mean, it's never going to overtake Disney, but it's right up there. The interesting thing about DreamWorks is that because Disney had that malaise through the 2000s, they took the Western animation film scene and took it in a completely new direction. Uh, for the better and for the worse, you have a lot of the songs uh, dancing at the end of the movie, the, a lot of the celebrity-heavy voice cast, a lot of the pop culture references, and that's a lot of what uh, DreamWorks was like in the 2000s. And then, oddly enough, when they get into the 2010s, I think they get a bit more prestige. They really get to show off their creativity more as they get to, involved with so many other studios, lots of smaller projects, 
they're really kind of growing into their own art style so it doesn't all look the same. And now you can respectively look at them as like a number third compared to all the other little ones like Illumination or Runner, Warner Brothers or Sony or uh, Blue Sky, rest in peace. Yeah, I think the, the problem that DreamWorks kind of came into is Shrek sort of became the image that they wanted to replicate in the 2000s a lot. It was a lot of just like, it's like we mentioned, the sort of DreamWorks face where just like one eyebrow cocked up and like, oh, we're a, like rebellious, rambunctious, like irreverent alternative to disney which i think i agree helped them in the 2000s but i think by 2010 when they tried to branch out and i agree make much more consistent movies they ultimately kind of like fell to the wayside as people became less interested in that kind of uh rebelliousness and more into like the sincerity again of disney because like by the 2010s you were getting stuff like frozen and milana where those are the bigger animated movies and you still have dreamworks making movies i agree but their hold isn't i think as strong as it was at least when i was a kid like i remember i adam was talking about from a kid's perspective especially when shrek came out shrek was like this is a new age that has begun <laughs> like shrek was so hyped up to a little kid like i must have seen that at least like a couple times in theaters because it's just like this is new this is different this is rebellious i rewatched all the shrek movies like as part of research for this episode and really it's a bummer that they kind of have became like the Shrek studio because I don't even think they're the strongest movies that studio even did. I like still like the first two Shreks perhaps, but ultimately like they have evolved so much beyond Shrek yet. I think they're forever going to be stamped with that green ogre and the fucking antennas and shit. And now Shrek lives as memes. That's that true. is the legacy now. <laughs> it is now meme culture. What do you want? He's an all-star. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. Which <laughs> which was not a song that originated with Shrek, by the way. Mystery Men had that originally. No, everybody thinks everybody thinks it is, and it's not. No, it's just a garbage song that was out before. <laughs> that it got even more garbagey and more popular, and therefore uh, it's awful. You know, because I'm not a poser. I remember Smash Mouth before Shrek. <laughs> I remember walking on the sun like a real yeah. Smash Mouth fan. <laughs> <laughs> You have the Smash Mouth template, Scott, for all of their songs. Oh yeah, that's that's every Smash Mouth song. I'm a believer, do ba do da do do do. That's the even the monkeys like that was mutated into a fucking Smash Mouth song. Yes, but we're not gonna be talking about Trick this evening because if you're new to the show, at the end of every episode we pick a random double feature uh, based on a general topic we'd be doing for the next episode. Uh, I had the two bad movies adam had the two good movies and we ended up getting one good and one bad feature so we'll have uh, adam's good pick which is megamine that we'll be talking about first and then after that we'll be talking about shark tale which was uh, my bad pick though the patrons over at patreon.com slash pod ended up voting for shark tale so uh this is partially your fault yeah not a surprise yeah thank and you. scott i played that, that's true a uh, fellow patron scott thank you for your money and how you you put this on yourself I was a very smart person that day. Oh, that's true, because we could have been talking about Shrek the Third, but we're not. We're talking about Shark Tale instead. But uh, first, let's get into our good feature, Megamind. When the world's greatest superhero retires... I'm, I'm done. Only Megamind can save us. Wait, what? Will Ferrell. Oh, my giant blue head! Tina Fey. Whoops, I'm sorry. I guess we're here. Jonah Hill. Don't even feel it. And Brad Pitt. I'm sorry. You left us in the hands of... No offense. No, I'm with you. DreamWorks Megamind. Rated PG. Experience it in IMAX 3D and visit IMAX.com for showtimes and listings. 
So uh, Megamind came out November 5th, uh, 2010 uh, from director Tom McGrath, who at this point had done a lot of the uh, Madagascar films uh, as a director and would go on to make stuff like The Boss Baby um, and some of those other uh, dream, bigger DreamWorks franchise stuff. But Megamind is really the only one of his movies that didn't result in a franchise because uh, this might not be one a lot of people remember. Simply because uh, it wasn't that successful when it came out in 2010. Uh, it made $321 million on its $130 million budget, but for DreamWorks, that's a very low gross. It's kind of a shame because a lot of people kind of avoid it, and I even did at the time because I was. This was around the time when I stopped like going to anime and movies as regularly because I was, you know, in high school by this point. And I was like, I don't know, I'm not gonna watch Megamind. It looks kind of like crass and dumb, like a lot of these other DreamWorks movies did. I actually watched it for the first time during quarantine. And honestly, watching it, I'm like, oh, wow, this is a much better movie than I think people gave it credit for at the time. And also, um, it brings even better because around this same year was, uh, Scott mentioned Illumination, Despicable Me came out. It's another supervillain-themed kind of uh, animated movie. And uh, I would argue this one deserved a franchise more than that one. Better Minion in this one, too, even. Yes. And the thing is... Yes, this was criminally sort of underseen, and 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 it is underappreciated. Now, it's not. A, I wouldn't go as far as say it's a masterpiece by any means. I think it is just such a super cute, super fun little movie. This has a lot of the really fun jokes for adults, and that doesn't necessarily go over kids' heads every time. Too like they get it, they know it's funny, but they might not necessarily know why it's funny. Uh, this to me is a really good blend of that of sort of keeping the kids' interest, but also throwing a couple of yucks in there for the parents. Yeah, I remember when this movie came out, the trailer was very unappealing because it's like, oh, Will Ferrell's going to do a voice and they're doing the smug face. And it's just such an uninteresting premise. And like lots of DreamWorks movies, you, you learn later from critics like, oh, it's pretty good. And I never got around to seeing it until recently, uh, especially when this came out when superheroes were starting to get on the rise. So it's kind of funny that you have this parody going on, very, very overt Superman parody going on and watching it now in 2021, especially as there's so much superhero material, this is really funny. And not only that, but everyone is really delivering with this character, the setup and how it kind of says things about the superhero genre in a very funny tongue in cheek way. Yeah, for, for those who are unaware, basically the premise of Megamind is our titular character is Megamind as voiced by Will Ferrell, who is a typical evil villain to face off against a superhero, in this case being Metro Man, voiced by Brad Pitt. And uh, Megamind has been for years trying to stop Metro Man. We get a whole backstory that's very funny in which they both are in competing rockets as children <laughs> trying to get toward Earth. Um, and uh, eventually we see that uh, Megamind has trapped Metro Man yet again and has also kidnapped uh, Roxy, who is this reporter played by Tina Fey. Um, who, you know, this is the song and dance that they've all been through, and he thinks that, like, oh, yeah, Metro Man's probably gonna get out again. And, and the thing is, uh, Metro Man ends up not getting out of the trap that Megamind sets up for him and seemingly dies. And thus Megamind realizes, oh, I've won. Now I can take over. And has that initial glee in taking over, but then realizing, oh, wait, maybe being a villain who wins is ultimately so empty. And I think that is really what makes this so interesting, as a superhero satire is that it feels like it's actually trying to examine like, okay, in a role where you play a, like the villain, the constant loser so much, then you ultimately win. 
what do you ultimately gain because you're so focused on villainy this whole time? It's a really clever twist that I hadn't really seen in other movies that much before this especially and yeah it's it's also i think the biggest credit i can give is that it's got a lot of celebrity stunt casting as i mentioned with that rundown but i would argue all of the cast for once like these celebrity voices don't feel like they're just kind of shoehorned into their roles it feels for once like oh wow you actually cast this very well between like feral and pitt and Faye especially, they play to their strengths as comedic personas perfectly with the animation. I think this is a fantastic Will Ferrell performance because Megamind is someone you actually feel sympathy for really early on because it's like he grew up in a prison, he was neglected at school, but he was very smart and he had his buddy Minion. And even as he knows he's like the protagonist of the story, he's still a loser, but he's still really smart. And he can be kind of like smug and manic, but you always feel like he's kind of about to crack because because things just do not go well. And yet when things do go well, he's happy for a bit, but he just then doesn't know what to do. The role was so perfectly chosen for all these people, like Tina Fey, Brad Pitt is Metro Man, and he is great. So he fucking is just the shining beacon of like hilarity and pride and just knows what he's going to do. And David Cross is the minion. The, then there's Jonah Hill, who was not as big at the time. He, he just had popped off, but he's playing kind of like the side character who you feel like is kind of like a, a nerd who's unsure of himself. But then he grows into a bad guy and he embraces that very well, especially this whole web of relationships going on. It's, a, it's an interesting movie, especially watching now about male entitlement when you really watch it because it's so much about like people who are unprepared for certain roles kind of either trying to back out of it or trying to reestablish systems that had already been previously done because Megamind ends up creating the Jonah Hill hero character initially who turns into a villain and then Jonah Hill's character honestly feels so prescient for like this the weird sort of like reddit in self-culture that would ultimately come in like the next decade after this movie came out it, it's, it feels very much like it was a movie ahead of its time yeah, uh, Titan, or uh, Hal Stewart, as he is named, uh, he's kind of like a little syndrome. I think that's another character he would remind me of. Mm -hmm. And er even early on, as uh, Megamind gets the idea of, like, I should have a new villain, and he's training him with that great parody of the Marlon Brando uh, superhero yes. dad. Uh, a <laughs> lot, lot of, like, really good, funny, small jokes going on in this movie. But as he's training the character and how, like, vicious he kind of is, he's like, Am I making the right decision here? Which one joke I really liked on the rewatch of this is that, oh, what's my name? Titan. It was the only name I could get trademarked. <laughs> yes, that's a really good bit. There's a lot of great like superhero parody bits. Like I love um, when he's going to blow up the museum thing. He's just like, oh, yes, I shall blow away the past. Oh, God, I'm too close. I'm too close. And he has to like run away from it. Stuff like that. It's a really like there's a lot of fun, incisive stuff in here. That's way more than any of the Spickle Me movies kind of did. Like, they really dropped the supervillain thing after a while and just focus on them fucking yellow pieces of shit. Yeah, what I appreciate is that a lot of this movie has, like, it has big funny moments, but compared to other DreamWorks movies, it can be really reserved in how it, like, tells jokes, especially as there's running jokes going along, like the way that Megamind mispronounces words, or I like all the stuff that happens with his various gadgets. Uh, Animation-wise, this is not the most interesting DreamWorks movie because this is around the same time they had Shrek Ever After and How to Train Your Dragon. And this, you get some bits of that like with the uh, the various designs Mega Man has going on, like the little brain bots who kind of remind me of Mousers from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or just like the big fights that go on at the end. 
I think when this movie was created, they had a very good vision in mind about how we're going to tell this whole kind of circular story and bring things back here and there, both in like a funny way, but also as a nicely meaningful, impactful way. You know, that's the one thing about it too, that I really like. It is a really sharp sort of smart superhero satire, whether or not, you know, the idea has been sort of done before, uh, but that never makes it less effective. I do definitely agree with sort of the character designs though. Um, they're all kind of bland looking, especially like sort of their facial features and everything. Like none of them really stand out to me. I would say particularly like the the standard human design, like Roxanne and all like the background humans are this weird, ugly design yeah. that DreamWorks was like started like doing at this point. Like it reminds me a lot of like yeah, Monsters like, versus Aliens had a similar problem. Uh, yeah, the, the only, but yeah, I think the voice acting is pretty much well done across the board. It's easily one of my favorite will ferrell even though i am a fan of his but he's really good in this and he's not too over the top will ferrell yes the mispronouncing the names and stuff like that but it just really sort of fits with the character it just kind of makes him he's not dumb he's just so out of touch with everything that's what i like about it yeah it feels like it's the the whole thing like he doesn't have the stubborn confidence though of like the other will ferrell characters at this time which i think makes him a bit more endearing like he's trying to put on that face but he's secretly extremely insecure and i just love like particularly any of the bits where like he's trying to do all the villain cliches and roxanne even points out like oh this is dumb the laser oh that's a spider new yes the spider (laughs) coming to attack you stuff like that and it's will ferrell like really leaning into like the oh over the top villain voice but at the same time giving that a bit more nuance with like the actual performance yeah i definitely definitely agree you know yes he's the star of the movie and everything but it's i think i'd argue that everybody especially jonah hill uh sort of get their chance to shine too in their respective sort of performances like even my favorite is actually david cross as the minion character i think he's great He's like it's david cross in a much more sort of jovial and like paternal role which is weird for cross given he's so much more of, like, a cynical asshole type in, like, most of his comedic persona, as opposed to here. He's just, like, so much more endearing, and he really wants to help out Megamind the whole time. And I would say, also, the design of Minion is my favorite of the whole movie, because it's, like, it's a fucking robot ape with a fish and a bull head. <laughs> That's dope. I would have loved this as a child, like, that look of that particular creature. I feel like one thing I've noticed from, like, how everything was filmed is that you really get a sense of space with this movie. Just, like, here's the big city scenes, here's the big uh, flight, flying moments. Megamind's lair is really big, but it's really hollow. And I think that's a really interesting kind of look as, it, as things bounce around and move. Like, uh, Roxanne Ritchie is definitely not a Gwen Stacy because the way that Titan just throws her up in the air while they're flying and then catches her, like, oh, she's, it's a good thing she's a cartoon. I would say, yeah, that's my favorite thing about this movie is around this time, DreamWorks is really leaning heavy into like 3D presentation, which if nothing else, back when 3D was a thing, I think DreamWorks was the the animation studio in particular that mastered that far better, like the same year as How to Train Your Dragon. And I love the way that the flying segments in that movie look. And similarly in this movie, I love the look of like whenever Metro Man or the other like Titan are flying around the city. You get so much of the detail of the city, but also so much, like, great characterization, how, like, characters move around in the space and all this other stuff. I think it's uh, some of the best even depictions of just superheroes flying in general in, like, movies in recent years. It's just this movie and how it manages to capture that feeling. Yeah, it's super thrilling. It's super exciting. Uh, and the thing, everything does, you know, this is a silly-ass movie, the dude with the giant blue head fighting, you know... Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt's in it and there's a talking fish in a gorilla suit, but everything feels like it has 
not necessarily weight to it, but circumstances. Like there, there is a real emotional heft to a lot of this stuff. Yes, it is classic sort of, you know, cape shenanigans, but it's done really, really well. And you genuinely do sort of care about what happens. It's not just fun and silly and exciting, but there's also emotional weight to it all. And I, you know, that's hard to do, man. I appreciate the film is very clever. Like it knows when to be funny. It knows when to not be funny. It knows when to kind of like do, take a good balance. Like when they're teaching Titan, I like the spray didn't work. What do we do? Use the knockout stick. Just knocks him in the face. Or when Titan is threatening Megamind and hearing about, about all the lies he was told, it's like you you lied to Space Stepmom. Okay, <laughs> right. Like to say Space Stepmom is buried. But also, I think the the cleverness is even. It's not just in the jokes, like. Adam was mentioning, but even, like, the actual twist of Titan becoming actual evil force, where it's just like, oh, you can't just give power to somebody who is so desperate for any kind of connection that he wants to, like, take it from people at this point. It's, it's It does such a great job of, like, really selling it, like, the idea of, like, oh, this seemingly harmless nerd character can be turned into a superhero and immediately be, like, a good guy who's grateful for what he's gotten. No, he's an entitled asshole who will destroy everything and everyone around him for his own benefit. Well, speaking of that, I kind of like what they do with Metro Man to the degree because he basically fakes his death. And why does he fake his death? He kind of had time to think about it, and he's like, well, I don't want to do this forever, and I want to do these other things instead. And then Roxy is just like, you're an asshole! Because that is an asshole move! <laughs> yeah, I, I love that too. I agree. Like, Brad Pitt's vocal performance, particularly in that reveal, or even just the animation of, like, when they come into Metro Man's lair, and they're just like, oh, that water, it still has ice cubes in it, and Metro Man comes in, and the animation on him in a bathroom just like, oh, um, I better go and leave. It's such a good reveal and comedic beat. Yeah, and I do think Brad Pitt does, because I believe this is his second vocal performance for DreamWorks, if I'm correct, because I believe he was also the voice of Sinbad. Yep, Sinbad. Um, <laughs> the title is accurate. Sin very bad. Um, but this is, uh, yeah, he's he's really good in this one. Um, super fun. And yeah, I really love the look, too, when he comes out of hiding. He's got the bathroom on, and it's sort of like the uh, three-day unshaven beard constantly. <laughs> you know, he just doesn't give a shit anymore. Like, yeah, it's it's really funny. I can become Music Man now. I don't have to change my logo or anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was very happy just to watch this movie for the episode because I appreciated how smart everything was compared with this movie like dreamworks has a really good catalog of movies if you look at the grand scheme of things even with some real stinkers there but this movie i think stands out in a way that it's very smartly comedic and a good parody that doesn't like push itself too hard it can kind of stand on its own two feet is how it kind of ties everything together it's like this could have probably been a good franchise but as its own kind of singular story of what megamind goes through and learns i was pretty happy with how it turned out even with the typical dreamworks like okay we're gonna dance at the end i was like you earned that you were in that dream works. I mean, that that's the biggest thing I can say. Along with some of the characters' design stuff, my least favorite thing in the movie is just the incessant and extremely obvious soundtrack cues. And how like how many times it's like Back in Black or like so many of like the typical songs that you would play during any of these beats, especially DreamWorks would play. Just like, oh, let's go to the oldie station and just play like all of these Bad to the Bone and Welcome yep. to the Jungle and yep. Mr. Blue Sky. Mm -hmm. So I know what the director was listening to the entire couple of years this movie was being made. 
yeah, it feels just like, oh, did Zack Snyder <laughs> come in as like a soundtrack consultant? Is <laughs> he the soundtrack guy behind this one? No, because then it'd be all Leonard Cohen hits. That's true. DreamWorks is just like, look, we've already done Hallelujah, Zack. We can't do it in this one, too. Right, but you haven't done it by Leonard Cohen. God damn it. Okay, Zack, jeez. Uh, but no, I am surprised there was never sort of a sequel to this, but I'm kind of really glad there wasn't. <laughs> Because what, what more story are you going to tell with this? We've seen that story now done three times over, and it's gotten worse and worse each time with the despicable me. I mean, I'm glad they didn't do it with this. I'm glad we got this just one standalone movie, and it's there for us to enjoy and appreciate. And it hasn't sort of been overblown, oversaturated, and really sort of run to the ground like the despicable me franchise has. Yeah, but I think even Despicable Me has more of the problem of, like, they didn't even stick to the superhero bit. I think if you stuck to the superhero, like, gimmick of this and actually developed more of the world of Megamind, I think there would be so much more fruitful potential. But then again, if DreamWorks did, they might end up at the same time at creating, turning Minion into the Minions. Like, there's an alternative world where we get stupid, obnoxious memes on Facebook shared by our aunts of, like, the Minion character here, as opposed to the other guys. Well, well, the original premise of this movie is that Megamind, it wasn't about like the rivalry he had with Metro Man. I think he wanted to be part of like a Legion of Doom kind of kind of deal. And they would probably grow on that, especially when it's like Megamind learns not to be so bad. There's an idea there. I'm not going to say it would be great, but, you know, a lot of DreamWorks sequels end up being pretty good. But who knows? Yeah, yeah, I'm good without getting the, the minion, the fish, dressed as Wolverine for some reason on some bullshit political post my aunt shares on Facebook. <laughs> like, get the fuck out of here with this shit. <laughs> Saying some weird anti-vaxxer shit or something, just like, what the fuck yeah, is this? Why is this here? Shit. No, no, Megamind is the opposite of that, because you watch how he grows up in a prison and he teaches, like, don't trust cop- cops are bad. <laughs> can you can you spell a c a b <laughs> yeah i think uh we can go ahead and uh, start wrapping up a bit on megamind here uh, let's go ahead and uh, scott you uh your final thoughts on megamind look uh Drix has a lot of like recognizable names and franchises and megamind was probably one that slipped through the cracks it was definitely one like that for me when it came out and i just wasn't all that interested but I think if you were to look back at it, and other than maybe some of the dated flaws with, like, the music or just the look of it, and even if you think you're tired of superheroes, this is a really fun movie. It's funny. It's adult without being, like, too naughty or mature. It has a lot going on there, and you really appreciate it from, like, a story level, a comedic level about how it just takes this character, Megamind, gives him a full adventure and arc where he learns something and he connects to people and he finds out things about himself that I think you can really appreciate and that everyone can kind of enjoy. Yeah. And Adam, your final thoughts on Megamind. This is a super, super cute movie, man. This is a good movie. If you're a fan of comic books and superhero stuff and you got a young kid and you maybe want to get him involved in this before you throw him in, you know, headfirst in the MCU and stuff like this. This is a good way to get him sort of interested in that and in the idea of, you know, superheroes and capes and consequences and, you know, really owning up to your actions. And I hate to quote, you know, fucking Uncle Ben, but, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Great Wisconsin trilogies. It's not necessarily, you know, the top of the bunch for DreamWorks, but it damn sure ain't the bottom. Um, I think this is a really neat little standalone film in their in their sort of oeuvre as a whole that doesn't 
necessarily get the attention I think it deserves because I think it should be closer to sort of the top when people talk about their films. And uh, unfortunately, this one barely, barely ever gets mentioned. Yeah, I would say it's definitely the underrated gem of their filmography for sure. I think it has so many like smart and incisive things to say about the superhero genre and also some of the male entitlement stuff we talked about earlier. Um, but also it has like a really solid voice cast, really good animation, not whether it's like something more big and grandiose for the big superhero moments or even like some fun comedic character stuff. Like we didn't mention much, but I love the animation for when Megamind is in his big robot suit and how like <laughs> the robot suit takes on Megamind's like motion captured like emotional heft whether it's like him trying to destroy the city and then later where he's like oh I don't have a superhero to fight this is just embarrassing and he's like playing around with the car and shit like that it's really fucking Love funny it. it's so Love good it. and also it has solid emotional heft I think especially with like we didn't mention much about the Roxanne character but I like how Megamind kind of comes to the realization about like how he shouldn't manipulate this woman and how he realizes, like, oh, I shouldn't be an asshole to her. And how she ultimately ends up kind of helping him and getting him to, like, go a bit past this. Really, it's it's a character that on paper, I think, has to be just like, oh, she's a female character just assisting the male character. But I think she's a welcome player that actually contributes a lot on her own with the comedy and some of the story stuff she does. Yeah, just overall, I think there's a lot more um, smart satire and even emotional heft in here. Like, honestly, I was kind of swept up in when Minion almost died. Because I cared so much about that fucking fish inside the stupid bowl on top of the gorilla robot. I cared that much. If you skipped out on this one because you were all shreked out, I'd say give it another shot. It's worthy. And speaking of worthy, here is a promo for an ESO show you can queue up right after ours. Time to grab your pillow and join the Geek Father in Little Bit for discussions on current, nostalgic, and speculative happenings in pop culture. Nerd news, fandom histories, deep dive discussions, reviews, and more. It's like listening to your closest friends have a nerdy conversation. So sit back, relax, and let the Blurred Nerds podcast embrace you with their warm, goofy goodness. It's nerd goals for your ear holes right here on the ESO Network. And let's get into our second feature, our bad pick, Shark Tale. As long as anyone could remember, Lenny was a different kind of shark. Oh, jeez, Hop. Here's the thing. I'm a, I'm a vegetarian. As long as anyone could remember, no! Oscar was always in trouble. It's a sure thing. That's it. All right. I want you to find the deepest, darkest hole in the ocean and put him in it. No, ah! oh, no. Then, the little fish told a great white lie. Oscar, did you kill him? Yeah, remember this name. Oscar the Shark Slayer! You lied! Everybody thinks you slayed the shark! You need to slay a shark, and I need to disappear. Here's what we're gonna do. Da -da -da -da! Now snap your fin right on it. Snap it. You're not snapping it. Oscar. Right. Oh, hey, don't sweat it. A lot of white fish can't do it. So Shark Tale uh, came out in 2004. Um, it was uh, not too long after Finding Nemo came out with Pixar, because uh, it's October 1st, 2004, about a year or so after Finding Nemo was a big hit. And I think this one is representative of a lot of the stuff people talk about with DreamWorks in terms of uh, being kind of the lesser studio, because this is pure Western animation bottom feeder level stuff. I think this movie... Uh, 
<laughs> I know. I'm sorry to but burst your bubble there, Adam. But uh, th- this movie is uh, it's fucking dog shit. This is everything that like people hate about modern anime movies, honestly. Alright, so. I hate this movie. Yes, I agree. I will say my five-year-old fucking loved it. Oh, that makes sense. This movie appeals to five to like eight-year-olds at best. Uh, anybody else? No, it's horrible, dude. And I mean, look. Oh, the racial stereotypes alone are just mind-blowing bl- and boggling to me. Dude, fuck this movie. Like, for, like, for, like, for, <laughs> like this, this movie is so fucking stupid and dumb. And, and I mean, it has such a stacked voice cast, which not necessarily makes for a good animated movie. But they're all like, doing okay in here. It's just, it's so fucking stupid and boring and bland and stereotypical and and ugly we didn't mention this but it looks awful oh <laughs> like terrible like most animated movies look great when there's water and it's you can see water flowing and moving and this movie nah not really uh a lot of it's the character design too man like the characters just look bad terrible they, they just terrible why do the fish have eyebrows? Well, one, Martin Scorsese is one of them, so they had to have eyebrows for his character. That's a contractually obligated that he has to have eyebrows in any character he plays because he just can't get rid of them. They come through in his I voice. I don't even know that they. I don't, that's what I'm saying. I don't even know that they purposely put the eyebrows on him. I think just him voicing the character, the character just grew the eyebrows. <laughs> the char- they like took back on the character design, and suddenly it had the eyebrows on it. Yeah, just suddenly it has eyebrows. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I, I, I think that's the problem is that, like, this is when I remember when I was a kid. I remember noticing a lot, especially around this time, whenever they would sell these movies, a lot of it would be, here's the character, and we're going to split screen it with the celebrity voicing it in the booth. This, I remember, like, Sinbad especially was sold on that. With, like, Brad Pitt voicing Sinbad, and there's Brad Pitt voicing fucking Sinbad next to it. And even in this movie, where you have, like, Will Smith is Oscar, he's right there in the booth alongside Oscar, and the this is, like, the ultimate zenith point of that where it's like oh instead of just doing that where it's like the side by side we're gonna make you remember as you watch the movie that these fish are voiced by these celebrities because they all look like the celebrities which makes it look garish and just horribly nightmarish just alone that like these fish have teeth like distinctive fucking molars and shit it just looks so off-putting. <laughs> look like this period of DreamWorks movies is not super great like that's Shrek 2 which is and then after that, it just takes a bit of a real valley. And everyone it, everyone looked at Shark Tale like, that movie looks terrible. Should I see it? And it's like, yes, it's terrible. I think it was one of the first movies I saw in a theater that kind of made me go, oh, movies can be bad. I shouldn't always spend my money to see something. Oh, God, it's just such a terrible awful movie that's like so all of the worst things about dreamworks that we've been seeing like uh like will smith is there basically doing fresh prints uh you have all this casting here like a lot of it just either doesn't use the material well or i think is awful like i think will smith is will smith is just mugging it up too much i think jack black is really terrible as this lenny character who's just like a vegetarian shark which is clearly coding for like him being gay but he he goes a lot between like he's jack black and then he's kind of fey and he's jack black and he's kind of italian fey it's it's just so also friggin obnoxious just by the way that this oscar character 
constantly quotes things at you that just do not fit. Like he's doing a he's doing a thing that's a parody of Cribs. Uh, he's referencing songs like uh, "I got big butts and I can't lie," or he he defeats the shark and he's say, quoting Gladiator and Jerry Maguire and. Oh, he vo- he quotes Jerry Maguire, and then they cut to the fucking fish voice by Renee Zellweger, which was a joke I didn't get at the time, and now it makes me angry. I'm so upset that you did that. Uh, it, here's here's a problem just from the start point. You have Oscar. Oscar's an asshole. I do not like him. I prefer the mobster sharks because, look, they can't help that they're sharks. And they're mobsters, but because this is like a PG movie, you don't see them do anything evil. Martin Scorsese is a lot more evil being the lo- being like the, the petty criminal. But Oscar is just an asshole, and he's motivated because, like, I love my dad, but he was a janitor, and that's kind of like being a loser. And it's like, man, fuck you. It's just like... There's no, like, society here with, with all these fish that really fucking matters. E- excuse me, sir. At the very beginning, we get a shot of the Hollywood Walk of Fame where they have Jessica Shrimpson um, and <laughs> Kelly Curran and all this other bullshit. Like, there, there's more of these just, like, awful puns. And even, like, it's not just the character design, but even the look of this, like, coral city that they've created is so, like, half-assed and just so unpleasant to look at. It reminded me of, like, a bad 90s... Uh... PC game like Freddy Fish would look better than this. Ooh. <laughs> the Freddy Fish comparisons going hard with that one. Could have used more Echo the Dolphin. No, you know the thing is, it's it's such a stupid design for the city because it's literally like Times Square underwater. Yeah, that'll sell it. Like, there's no originality to any of it. And like you said, the Jessica Shrimpson and Katie Current, like, how fucking tired and stupid and lazy are those jokes? Like, um, like, here, like, here's the thing. There is a plot to this movie where it's like, Oscar is a scumbag. He owes money to the mob boss, which is, well, a loan shark, which is Martin Scorsese, who helps the mob, which is a bunch of sharks. Excuse me, he's a puffer uh, fisher, as you could tell by all the times he puffed up when he got upset. Because they love yeah. that joke. Uh, he owes money to them, and he has this money that his girlfriend gave him, but then he wastes it all on, like, a seahorse betting thing, which is very dumb. Uh, he nearly gets whacked, but then the brother gets killed from an anchor that falls from the sky. Uh, and then he just takes the credit as, like, yeah, I killed the shark. I'm the shark slayer. And it's he has all this new clout because everyone thinks he's great, and he's saved the neighborhood. Does this even really matter to the grand scheme of things? The fact that he's chased by the mob, that doesn't matter. Uh, the fact that he could be threatened, well, he, he gets over it. I think there's one joke I laugh at where it's like, I have to stay away from the fish, they're going to kill me. And Martin Scorsese, Pufferfish, is like, oh, they're on the line, I'll let you talk to them. There, there's such, it's such like this loud, obnoxious, kind of insipid movie that... I think, to a degree, knows that it's stupid, but d- cannot fully commit to it. Like, I've, I've referenced that, like, Lenny's brother dies because an anchor falls on him. And yet Lenny has, like, oh, I have this guilt because he died and it's my fault. Well, no, not really. It's not really my fault. But it's, yeah, this movie's stupid, but I, I can't help it. No, the thing is, it's stupid, but it's not, like really embracing that stupidity in a way that, like, makes for funnier jokes or anything. Because if, like, if you were at least kind of clever with, like, the animation or some of the, like, sort of silly jokes that you're doing, I could forgive, like, a limp plot like this. But it's what we're talking about, like, all of the jokes are, like, references or they're, like, these uh, fart jokes or any number of other things that are just, like, this, it feels like it's, this is the most 
kind of like looking down on kids kind of animated movie where like something like a mega mind it's not talking down to children when it's making this movie that's for all ages as opposed to shark teal is looking so down on children that's like you'll accept anything look we're playing playstation look we're doing this or that and to be fair adam mentioned his daughter liked it so yeah she's fine which would which is weird because this doesn't feel like it wants to be for kids. It wants to be like, look at all these mature references. And Oscar, he's kind of he, – he's into this – he has a steady girlfriend, but he's into the – Angelina uh, Jolie's a – she's a sexy fish, huh? Yeah, and they want to be more mature telling the jokes. Like he's trying to shake hands with Martin Scorsese, and it's like, oh, it's fine. Not a lot of white fish can do it. And it's like, oh, God, this is embarrassing. Oh, yeah, and the sharks all for some reason are attracted to the Angelina Jolie fish too. Also, the biggest threat really in this movie are not the sharks. It is the jellyfish, who are clearly Jamaican. Yep, yeah. voiced by Dougie Doug and Ziggy Marley to really sell that. Yep. And the thing is, with all the coding and the references to, like, the Jaws theme or the, the Godfather stuff, or and, like, even to the point where they have references to fill time, like, why is Peter Falk singing Wind Beneath My Wings when someone dies? It doesn't fit. This movie is so vacuous. That all it can do is like say a reference. No, yeah, no. Uh, this movie is um. Oh God, what's the word? Terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. This movie is just fucking hog shit. I mean, hogwash, hog shit, whatever you want to do, dog shit. Uh, uh, how about fish shit to be more thematically appropriate? Yeah, I was gonna say it's that stringy shit that like just doesn't come out of their butts right away. That's kind of what this movie is. <laughs> yeah, this it's, is... it's it's the kind of bad where you're just sitting there breathing in your own toilet for months. Yep, that's what it feels like. <laughs> it looks like that too. Obviously, there was a problem from the from the get go with script, all the way from character design to production to, you know, voice acting and a lot of it to just the overall themes and messages they're trying to put in this movie. Like none of it clicks in a really cohesive way that makes it anything but obviously terrible, but it's so offensive too, on a lot of levels. Like, of course, the racial stereotypes, like I said. But it's also just, like you said, Thomas, and, and I think you hit it on the head, it, it, it wants to treat its audience, whatever audience it's going for, like they're idiots. Like, oh, you remember this song, huh? And all fish are singing it at the whale wash. Oh, what the fuck is this? What am I looking at here? And it's the whole movie. Like, it, it doesn't, from beginning to end, it is just dumb pop culture references. What it reminds me of, it reminds me of those stupid, like, Later Zucker movies, like Epic Movie and Superhero Movie and all this shit where it would just be just nothing but stupid pop culture references. And the lowest common denominator audience is like, oh, I remember when that happened. Holy shit, this is fucking hilarious. Well, Angelina Jolie Fish is hot. She's got big lips like her. Oh, man. Well, I hope the sharks fuck her. Like, it's just a stupid <laughs> thing. It's so dumb, dude. Like, I just... I hate this movie. I hate every movie's every movie like this. It's just this is just uh, as the French would call lay shit. It's shit. It doesn't even deserve merde. It is just shit. No, it really doesn't. It really it doesn't even deserve shiza. It's just shit. Oh man, it's so not funny. It's not even cute. There's nothing endearing about it. And and even just the fact that it feels so ambulance chasing with like literal as I mentioned like Finding Nemo came out like a year before this movie. 
and uh-huh. it, it feels so much like oh we're chasing those coattails but as opposed to having what's the word like oh what like funny characters and emotionally engaging story and really crisp animation that still kind of holds up yeah anything of note <laughs> i think yeah I, I was trying to think like it's really hard to name something i like about this movie like i feel for renee zellweger because she is a put-on girlfriend and i feel kind of bad for her and like her performance feels like the most genuine compared to everything here but i was just like i don't want you to end up with oscar he fucking sucks i hate him and maybe martin scorsese voicing that puffer fish is like okay that's a gimmick that's kind of interesting but 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 it's also an excuse just for Eric, this wonderful filmmaker to do stuff like the oh yeah gimme fin or like the the whitefish joke you mentioned or the whale poop bit like it, it's uh, even more upsetting or even like this is a low point for like Robert De Niro's career but this is even a low for Bad De Niro and that's saying a lot. <laughs> I, it, he's not in the movie very much, but it's just like, hey, he's kind of like a dick and he's pushing this thing whole thing on Lenny which I think a lot of this pressure is kind of like Lenny being very like worried about the worst case scenario stuff happening which by the way the whole like he's a vegetarian doesn't really go anywhere there's a bit like a shrimp will go I remember this and then a bunch of shrimps rub their face on on like the mafia don but then it's just like well get the fuck out of my face and then also the incredibly forced attempt at any kind of emotional resolution for that where like oh Lenny I accept you now well you you belong to the family no matter what you are like fuck you <laughs> you didn't even try with fuck. that <laughs> that's a problem also with like a lot of these animated like the DreamWorks movies around this time is that they would try and be like, these big fun like over the top like pop culture reference things that we're mentioning and then they would half ass some kind of emotional arc in there and it's just like you d- don't don't try and do this to me all of a sudden you play sad music and I'm supposed to care no. <laughs> Screw you, I don't care if you got Hans Zimmer to do the score, it doesn't matter, that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, well, well, the same time period of, like, Madagascar, which is also an eye-roll celebrity of a movie as it's flushed away, and then B-movie comes later, and it's just a terrible slump for the studio, and this is the worst in that period, which is saying something, but just, Jesus Christ, you can't get over how, like, is this as bad as you remember? Yes, it is. In fact, it's disgusting that... This has an Oscar nomination. Yep, it was nominated for Best Animated Film. It lost to The Incredible, shockingly. I know. We're all shocked yeah. that The Incredibles, a good movie, won. <laughs> and, this look, one. and look, look, there's not a huge lot of pickings that year for that movie, but there's more notable ones like the SpongeBob SquarePants movie came out that year. Uh, Lion King mm-hmm. One and a Half, which is really good, I think came out that year. Uh, Shrek 2, even as you mentioned, much better. Sh- film. Shrek yeah. 2, uh, Steam Boy, which is a good anime movie, Teacher's Pet. This is the kind of movie that I think gives DreamWorks that reputation we talked about earlier, where it's like, oh, hey, we're going to go on the Shrek sphere with like what we're trying to do with our animated movies and also this is not too long after like dreamworks had released prior to this the sinbad movie which was their last traditionally animated movie it was such a massive bomb they stopped doing traditional animation this is like the same year as like home on the range and so this feels like it's Uh such a dark period for animation in general where it's just like sure you get pixar doing some fun stuff but otherwise like it seems like it's in this weird transition point where like oh we're getting rid of traditional animation and we're just getting these kind of insipid awful cg animated movies to the point where like when dreamworks starts making good ones i think people still have that reputation of like no they're all shrek they're all like very like obnoxious and stupid and talking down to our kids yeah i think that's that was the curse following it for like a long time because it's like i didn't see megamind because of that i didn't see kung fu panda because of that i didn't i didn't see wallace and gromit because of that and just like 
I, it takes a really long time for the stink to come off this movie, but I'm, I'm glad, and I'm glad they overcame it. Like I can genuinely say that DreamWorks does do more good movies than bad, but God, when you make a movie like Shark Tale that it's top to bottom rotten and annoying and obnoxious, and like I could have died from cringing from like the dancing at the end of this movie, it was terrible. Oh, didn't you oh love when Ali- when Christina Aguilera and Missy Elliott came out as fish and they sang Car Wash? Didn't you love that, Scott? God, I've I've seen them do worse, but God, that is a, it's a special kind of terrible. Well, yeah, it's a pretty special kind of terrible. On that note, let's uh, finalize our thoughts on the special kind of terrible. Scott, final thoughts on Shark Tale. Well, you might be asking yourself, is this the worst DreamWorks movie? In my opinion, yeah. Yeah, I think it's the worst. It has the least value. It's known for its terribleness and its awfulness. And there's something to appreciate to some level in all the other ones, as bad as they can be, uh, be it like originality or animation or creativity. Or this has nothing. It's so obnoxious to probably be like, it's probably one of the worst big budget animated Western films you could watch. And it is so dated. It's so bad. It so obnoxiously wants to be cool and hip and interesting. But it's the most obnoxious cavalcade of bad references and stereotypes and awful humor and jokes that's just like, uh, if, if I never like heard Will Smith do another voice again, I think I would have been okay. But God, it's such a, what a, terrible movie for a terrible period in animation damn well i don't know adam do you have anything to add for your final thoughts on shark team jolie is a pretty sexy fish oh that's a good point 10 out of 10 great movie good point 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 sexy fish hot fish sexy fish yep the, the, well i mean there you go 10 out of 10 for me hot fish <laughs> do you want to add anything else oh man that's it what else could i say <laughs> Good point. Gosh, Fair enough. Good point. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think for me, um, I'll, I'll just say I agree with what everything Scott said. Um, I'm not as attracted to hot fish, but you know, not to kink shame you, Adam, whatever you want. Uh, and you know, let your fish flag fly, as they say. You mentioned this for yourself, Scott, that like this kind of made you realize movies could be this bad. And I think this was also around a similar time for me where I'm just like, oof, this is like, I, I love Shrek. I love all this other stuff. But Shark Tale is just like, it, it, I felt like it was talking down to me in a way that I thought was just like, oh, this is just, I don't want any more of this. I'm, I, and that's why I really fell off of watching these movies to a lot of degrees. And it's a bummer that like I didn't see some of these ones that we were mentioning that I think are a bit underrated. But at the same time, like I think this is the kind of movie that gives Western animation a terrible name. I think this is what people think of when they think of insipid western animated movies and i think that's that's the thing it's not just a black mark for a studio it's a black mark for like an art form which is like (laughs) saying a lot a blackfish oh oh yeah uh the 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 second worst fish (laughs) film to like incriminate how people treat their fish and in this case how they treat their animated fish uh yeah it's terrible do not bother with shark tail i remember the time i the movie broke me, and it's when they nearly have a cool scene where they're dealing with the mafia, they have Renee Zellweger, Lenny swoops up and eats her, and it's like, that's a cool move. And then Will Smith immediately goes, yeah, and he starts doing the hammer dance, goes, can't touch this. I'm like, fuck you, movie. You had nothing. Yeah, that kind of sums up the movie. You had nothing. But 
we have something here, and it's our uh, fresh segment that just debuted last week that uh, we concocted as a way of uh, recommending movies related to the topic that we're doing, or not recommending them as well. Uh, it's the Double Redo, where uh, every week uh, Adam and I will program the best and worst possible double feature uh, related to a topic that we're doing for the individual week to complement the episode, and we recommend you submit yours uh, to us, you know, on our social media platforms and our email that we'll mention near the end of the show here. Um, and so we're going with Adam first here, uh, who has his uh, two good and two bad movies related to DreamWorks <laughs> animations. So, uh, Adam, take it away. What, what are your recommendations and non-recommendations? All right. So for my recommendations, I uh, I got two that, you know, are related to uh, outside material. They're not original sort of DreamWorks movies, but I think they're they're pretty fun. Uh, I have Captain Underpants and Mr. Peabody and Sherman. I think they're both super fun, and, they, you know, granted, they're not original material, but I think they're done really, really well. And I really love the animation of Captain Underpants. I think it's really fun to look at. And, and you know, it, it's cute, man. It's it's easily approachable uh, to watch with your kids and stuff and, and really sort of have a good time with it. As far as my other two, uh, I, I got two that they look really good. The character design's kind of fun. But I just think they're both just so boring. And that's uh, from 2019, Abominable, and for 2015, Home. Uh, just boring, boring movies. And, uh, you know, not for their lack of trying, but just I could not connect with either of those in any way. And they really wanted you to, especially with Home. But it's just neither of those worked for me. So, I mean, those are, I mean, they're not the most offensive ones they've done, but they're, they're just boring. To me, though, you can pass those up and be fine. Yeah, um, I haven't seen the two bad ones, luckily. Um, I, I, I did not bother with Home, especially. The Abominable just seemed kind of like it was cute, but I didn't bother with it. But um, for the other two, yeah, I agree. Captain Underpants, I think, is quite fun. I think if you want another sort of superhero compliment after Megamind, Captain Underpants works. Especially, I grew up with the books as a kid, and I think it does a pretty good job of adapting that sensibility and not going as far on, like, the poop and fart and all those other jokes that were in there at the same time. It's, it's much more clever than you would expect from that name. You didn't mention much about Peabody and Sherman, which I didn't watch until I was doing research for this. And Peabody and Sherman I find fascinating, uh, just in terms of it's such an odd movie for, like, one, it's an adaptation of, like, the old Jay Ward shorts. And it's weird seeing those really cheap character designs that were kind of endearing turned into, like, $100 million animation. Um, and also the very weird, like, thing around it of, like, oh, hey, Peabody and Sherman are, like, adopted father and son. Yeah, you had, you had, before I had watched it, you had sort of pre-warned me on all this. Uh, so I think that made it even lessen the stink for me on all of it. So I kind of just enjoyed it for what it was. But I got to be honest, also, if I would have went into it blind, I probably would not have picked it for a double feature but i kind of enjoyed it dude and my kid really liked it uh but yeah it's 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 bizarre dude like it is a weird little movie i i like it too i i think a lot of that is with ty burrell as mr peabody that's perfect that's just perfect and it does have some of the jay ward kind of like sensibility and humor and trying to add like sentimentality into it it's not a hundred percent there but it's it's fun um but, but captain underpants is like probably like the underrated DreamWorks movie of this decade. It's fantastic, wonderfully animated, super charming, and even using that super comedic voice cast to make everything like funny and snappy and bouncy, 
is really, really good. It, it really makes you, I think, appreciate that DreamWorks can do other stuff, especially when that movie wasn't as successful but didn't spend as much money. Uh, I watched Abominable and Home, too. Abominable is fine. Uh, Home is just kind of boring and annoying as hell. Uh, it's pretty bleh. Well, if I may proceed with my recommendations and not as warm recommendations uh for me i'm uh, recommending two other ones i think have gotten lost in the shuffle as of recent uh one is over the hedge which i actually hadn't seen until doing research for the show and um i just kind of thought like oh this feels like it's kind of obnoxious i was kind of dismissing it in the same way like this is around the time of that shark tale element of it but of that era of dreamworks i think this is a really big highlight I think particularly it has, like, really incisive capitalism satire. And there's a lot of fun voice casting with, like, Gary Shandling plays, like, the main turtle, who's, like, the head of this group in the forest who sees, like, a suburb pop up while after they've hibernated. And Bruce Willis plays this raccoon, who's, like, a really fun kind of, like, shyster character that's enjoyable to see their dynamic. And then especially William Shatner plays an overacting possum and is so fucking funny. It's such ingenious casting for him to play, like, a hammy possum who has to act dead all the time. It's, it's I think, a really fun, even despite the animation kind of looking wonky nowadays, I think it still is, like, really enjoyable. And then um, I have one, Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted, which I want to emphasize, I don't like the first two Madagascars. I think the two first two Madagascars are more of, like, the Shark Tale problem, where they're just, like, really annoying and insipid, and they're just, like, kind of everything that an adult would hate about an animated movie in terms of how frantic it is. But Madagascar 3, I think, makes a surprise turn into being a much more, like, surreal and enjoyable wacky movie that i think also bounced out the like the actual emotional stuff much better than you would expect and has i think some of the most creative like jokes and bits of uh like animation and also i think a really fun villain in the interpol uh animal control agent played by francis mcdormand is like a really fun villain i love the way they animate that character i would say if you didn't like the other two madagascar movies this is the only one you would need to see i think it's quite enjoyable and then for the bad double feature i have two of them uh examples of them kind of screwing up other art forms where we didn't mention much about their traditional animation but i would say the worst of their few attempts for traditional animation is sinbad legend of the seven seas which has very flat already animation that's traditional like sort of 2d for the most part um except for i will say the villain played by michelle pfeiffer is quite like uh well animated but then also it mixes that with some of the most butt ugly cg they've ever done which is saying a lot. Um, I think it just, like, it looks so poor. And it's just a really dull adventure story that doesn't work. And then on the other side, we have Flushed Away, which was their third and final collaboration with Arden Animation, which they had done Chicken Run and Wallace and Gromit, Chris the Werewolf with them, which are two of my favorite just stop-motion animated movies in general. And then Flushed Away is them trying to translate that adorable Arden style to CG, and it looks awful. And it's just, like, it's so much more full of, like, the bad DreamWorks stuff than those other two movies ever were. And it just, it looks ugly in the same way as, like, a Shark Tale. But it's even more sort of, like, offensive in its own way because it's like, oh, you're taking charming British Aardman and warping into this ugly thing I don't want to see on my screen. Yeah, those are pretty solid choices just with uh, Flushed Away is bad. It's just all, all the humorous Britishisms. It's terrible. And Sinbad is boring. I am completely behind you with the, your good choices in that. Like, Madagascar 3 is, like, surprisingly great. Like, I'm stu I'm stunned by how good that movie is. I think they figured out the formula of, like, these characters are not that interesting. Let's add a whole lot of other characters and kind of, like, have a lot of 
wacky, random kind of fun with everything going involved. But also, the animation when they have like these circus scenes is so good. Yeah, I was like, I was like astounded by like how great they are. And Over the Hedge, I think, is a movie that a lot of people think is not super great, but I think it's really good, especially in terms of like it coming from a comic strip and having that kind of like dry, witty kind of sensibility to it with the really fun voice cast and everything going on. It's definitely worth a watch. Honestly, I don't think I've seen either of your good choices. I want to say I've seen Over the Hedge, but I... I honestly can't remember. I know I haven't seen Madagascar 3. I kind of gave up on the Madagascar movies because uh, I really couldn't stand the first or second one. So I didn't even bother with 3. But now maybe I'll check it out. Adam, to perfectly sell you on Madagascar 3, there's an Italian seal voiced by Martin Short. All right. Yeah, I'll watch that. For sure. <laughs> uh, as far as the bad choices, yeah, um, Sinbad, I remember seeing, I did see that one at the show. Because uh, I grew up loving the old Sinbad movies and everything. So I was kind of excited to see a new iteration of Sinbad. Oh my god, what a shit show that movie is. It's just, it's bad from beginning to end. It's, I mean, I will agree, Michelle Pfeiffer is, is really good in it. Uh, but other than that, woof. And uh, yeah, Flushed Away is so bad that I forgot about it. Like 100%. To even the point where we were talking about it. Uh, me and you off show and I'm like wait isn't that the one yeah yeah it's the one with uh, Hugh Jackman yeah the claimant you're like no it's CG I'm like no is it and then I went and looked at a couple clips I'm like oh god oh it's so ugly <laughs> yeah so yeah no 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 fuck uh, fuck those those movies those two movies for show well and Scott you have a double feature of your own for the good and bad so why don't you share those with us well, being the animation expert I am, I kind of really took the time to think these over. Uh, for the good presentations, as I talked about sequels, I thought I would focus on them. And uh, the, I would pick Kung Fu Panda 2 and Trolls, Trolls World Tour. Uh, Kung Fu Panda 2, I think, is the best DreamWorks movie. It's fantastic. It builds so much from the first one, so much. There's more action, more great designs. It still has the humor and the charm, but then it just adds this great level of like emotional stakes and storytelling, and you learn about how everything comes together, and it's beautiful. Like it's fantastic. I, I love the whole trilogy. I think the trilogy is great, but two like elevates it in such a way that it's just like this is one of the best Western anime movies from that decade. It's so good. And Trolls World Tour, I'm going to pick as an underdog because I really like both of the Trolls movies. I think they're really fun. They're really colorful. They have a great design and voice cast. And the pop aesthetic of the first one, I think, surprisingly works for it well. And in Trolls World Tour, I love how they grow and build on that musical aspect of it, having all the different kinds of trolls. And you can use more celebrities and use them well and kind of like have it come together. And it also has this really bit of like brilliant storytelling and messaging about how history is created and told by the winners so as you look back and what really happened which i think a lot of people are learning right now in the history of like the internet and all these bad things going on it's actually really a good thoughtful message especially also with uh like cultural appropriation and remembering remembering the past and all of these stories that go on especially in the world of music so that's a big highlight i have for them uh, for the bad movies, I would also thought I would go on the sequel train and go through two of them. Uh, one of which is Shrek the Third, which is, it's the movie that stopped the franchise dead in its tracks. It's terrible, it's boring, 
it totally misuses the characters. It's just a total horrible slog. And then my other pick, uh, this one's going to be a bit controversial, so I'm going to ask you to hear me out. It is How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. And I hate the third in this movie. I think it nearly destroys the franchise because it focuses on the worst elements of the series about like taking the bad side characters and giving them plot relevance. You have pretty animation. You have this neat stuff going on with Hiccup and Toothless, but the villains are bad. The story is kind of bad. It's It has these bad plot holes and bad bits of humor. And the ending, which I think a lot of people remember this because it's like, oh, it's the ending of a trilogy. It's so emotional. It's so beautiful. It's like, if you think about the ending from like a coding or like a, a like a queer or a BIPOC point of view, it's really fucked up. It's like, hey, here's this great thing. Oh, we got to take it away now because there's assholes out there. And it's like, it's such manufactured drama that's meant to make me cry and just the badness of it like totally eroded my enjoyment of it. I can still enjoy one and two greatly, but three is just a mess. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get any arguments from us with three, really. I mean, I would say I don't think I hate How to Train Your Dragon. I was disappointed by it, I would definitely say, because I think the other yeah. two are like near masterpieces. And that one I thought was just like, oh, it's fine, but it's very forgettable. Honestly, that's the bummer of it. Is that it's just like it has the beautiful animation, but it doesn't have a lot else, as opposed to the emotional heft I got out of the other two movies. Weirdly, the series goes downhill when you don't have Gerard Butler in it, which <laughs> boggles my mind. He's so good in the first two movies. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't hate it. I, I do think it's easily the you know weakest out of the three, for sure, for sure. And then, uh, you know, I never even gave Trolls World Tour a chance, but that's only because uh, I saw the first one ad nauseum. Uh, so it's like, I, I can't, I can't just, no, I can't bring myself to it. I, I, I know, just, nope, 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 nope. I'm sure it's cute, I'm sure it's fine, I'm sure it's fun, but yeah, I just won't do it. And I apologize for that, and I apologize to everyone, uh, especially you, Scott. No, but yeah, Kung Fu Panda 2, to me, it's my favorite of the three as well. I think that's a super fun, cute, action-packed movie, and, and it's the best sort of voice acting Jack Black's ever done, for sure. Oh yeah, in particular, I love the uh, the Gary Oldman like peacock villain is like a genuine. Oh, he's I, so good. Yeah, I love the voice performance and the look of that character. Yeah, I, I agree that I think the, the I think Kung Fu Panda is the strongest of like the series within DreamWorks. Honestly, where even the third one I think is lesser than the other two, but it's still like so gorgeously animated and has a lot of like interesting thematic stuff to it too. Yeah, I think it like three at least brings the whole thing full circle in a way that I appreciate much more than what How to Train Your Dragon tried to do. I agree the first Trolls is underrated. I think Trolls World Tour is fun. Um, I, I like especially the sort of different depictions of the various sects of, like, uh, music that pop up, and it's, like, really colorful and interesting. I would say I prefer the first Trolls, for sure, but... Yeah, and then even with, like, Shrek the Third, like, I completely agree that that is kind of, like, what soured me so much on Shrek to where when it became a meme, I was like, really? Do you guys remember how this, like, ended up going about? To the point where, like, Shrek Forever After also isn't a very good movie, but by comparison to Shrek the Third, it's, like, a fucking masterpiece. It's, like, great <laughs> cinema. By There's comparison. ideas in Shrek After After. Shrek the Third is like, man, y'all blew it with this golden goose. 
Yeah, for sure. Definitely agreed. But yeah, so those are a bunch of ones to either see or not see with especially the kids, uh, if you if you got them. Uh, but go ahead. Yeah, those are uh, our picks for our double redo. Once again, send those to us. You can send those, those uh, via either our uh, Facebook or Twitter page at DEDBpod or email us, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com. I'll spell it out there. Um, and let's go ahead and get into our wrap-up. I'm going to thank Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our artwork. You can follow him at Night of Water. That's Night with a K, underscore of, underscore water, uh, to see more of his great art. And he'll accept commissions, I'm sure, at some point. Definitely follow him there to get more of that. And we also want to thank our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash dedbpod where uh, you get to pick, you know, movies we do for the show, and, like, Shark Tale, that was all you guys. We appreciate the money that you give us if you make us watch Shark Tale. Um, and also, you can vote for topics we do, like we should mention, the same week that we're uh, putting this out, there will be a poll for, uh, we're coming up on Fast and the Furious is finally returning to us. We're getting F9. And so you all get to choose between us doing a full-on Fast and the Furious franchise as a topic to coincide with that, or... To broaden the scope a bit, you could even suggest that we do Vin Diesel's career as a topic, which uh, either of those is very interesting, and more importantly, will bring us together as a family. Yes, yes, Vin. Don't worry. I know where Vin's vote is. He's a loyal patron for sure. Um, he contributes that just $1 a month uh, to help us out, and also... Keep in lookout, because uh, this week, uh, Army of the Dead is coming out, so we'll be doing an On the Edge of Relevance episode about that. Oh, uh, yeah, which, uh, you know, I did just see a blurb earlier today where it's like, Army of the Dead and Zack Snyder Suicide Squad. So that's not really filling me with hope. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Oh, boy. We'll see. Oh we'll see. But, you know, uh, we want to specifically thank Scott, who is also a patron edgelord, and we appreciate that. Scott, we appreciate you coming on the show. Why don't you plug yourself a bit? Oh, well, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to be here. You can find me on Twitter at ScottPJThoughts. That is Scott with two Ts, letter P, letter J, Thoughts. You can find me on Letterboxd doing various reviews and retrospectives on things. And I go by uh, Scott underscore Johnson. Uh, you can find me at uh, PortStringy.com if you love beer and drinking, which was helpful to watch these movies, uh, where um, I do coverage of beer and also pop culture pairings, which... Um, Every year, I cover the Oscar nominees and pair beers with them. And this year was probably the hardest time I've ever had doing that because all of the movies, for some degree, are depressing. <laughs> yes, for sure. Here's the, here's the beer to go with the dementia of the father, everybody. <laughs> yeah, so I would definitely appreciate y'all checking that out. Um, I did pair beers with these movies we covered with Megamind. I covered a beer that I think would be very close to Adam, which would be Bell's Two-Hearted, because it is a beer that always, you forget how good it is until you have it again. And it takes place in Michigan, like the movie. It has hearts coming together with the, with the couplings and people learning about themselves. It's a delightful time. And with Shark Tale, I picked Pearl Necklace Oyster Stout. Because, yes, there are beers made of oysters, and if you want to be juvenile and raunchy, well, here you go, kids. Yeah. Oh, that is by Flying Dog Brewery in Baltimore. Solid recommendation to everybody. Watch Shark Tale and drink that beer. For sure. For sure. 
Um, but, but yeah, uh, if you want to find more of our antics, you can find us, as we mentioned earlier, at DEDBpod, Twitter and Facebook, email us, bill at gmail.com. And, uh, you know what, now you can buy merchandise with, uh, our logo, including, yes, our new logo over at the ESO T Public Store, our new logo with our masks and everything. You can buy a shirt or a mug or anything like that with our new logo on it. Buy our merch. Buy our merch. Oh, wow, an endorsement yeah. from Mr. Diesel himself. Oh, wow. <laughs> Got sippy cups. <laughs> um, and uh, for more of my own uh, individual antics, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxes at NotTheWho'sTommy. And I also do some writing at both uh, film-cred.com and also uh, at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com, which for the first time in a while on my blog, I, ha- I will have a review up. Uh, where I reviewed Spiral from the Book of Saw, uh, because I just came back earlier today from going to a movie theater for the first time in 15 months. You can't imagine how excited I was. I went back to the movies. I was so happy to do so. But was I happy about Spiral from the Book of Saw? You'll have to find out with that. Um, On a different note, uh, please see nobody. The Bob Odenkirk action movie is very great. That was so fun. Uh, And uh, you can also listen to... I did a guest appearance with um, a friend of the show, Mike... Gordon and uh, his, of course, partner, uh, Mike Faber, on the Earth Station One podcast. Uh, I went on there to talk about History of the World Part One, the Mel Brooks film. So you can uh, listen to that right now. It was a fun discussion. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter or Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore or underscore A-D-A-M. Uh, and I'm on Letterboxd at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-O-S-O-N. Uh, you know, not a lot, not a lot popping off lately. Uh, you know, getting old, getting older, uh, mostly looking for recipes and how to ease foot pain. Uh, and that's, and what is the best plastic for my furniture? (laughs) Well, if you want plastic furniture recommendations, you might be out of luck with our show, but if you want movie discussion, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on the ESO Network, why not listen to all the other great shows on there, uh, like Earth Station 1, or the one we paid a, played a promo for earlier. Or uh, you can also dig into the archives for us over on our Podbean main feed for several episodes even before we joined ESO. And nothing else, if you can't buy that merch or support us on the Patreon on a monthly basis, if you were to just share the show around or rate or review it, that helps us out. It gets us more visibility out there in the ether. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Your enemies might enjoy it more. They might. Yeah, tell them. Because if you, you know, some of these are really bad. All sorts of fun that you can have by listening to the archives and sharing them around. But, Adam, it's time. Uh, we're near the end of the show. And uh, at the end of the show, we do a picking for next week. And uh, our next topic that we'll be doing is Paranormal Romance, which was chosen by our patrons, our edgelord patrons over there, as a redemption, because that was uh, one we had on a poll before, and they decided to choose that as a topic to cover now, which was a very interesting one that we didn't have any difficulty finding choices for. <laughs> Ooh, spooky, and yet sexy. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what we're going for. That's our whole vibe with this show. Uh, but uh, you yeah, have... Yep. Yes, Never yes. Ever. True, true. I have the two good for that topic, you have the two bad. 
and uh, we have assigned a number between 1 and 10 for each of those choices. And Scott will pick a number between 1 and 10 for both of them to potentially uh, be the ones we choose. But we should mention, as instituted last week, we have the new Godfather rule, which basically means that uh, Adam and I have the potential to veto one movie within the next year. So, for example, if... I have my good choice that Scott picks number four, and uh, I say it. Adam can immediately say, nope, I'm going to veto that and go with whatever your next choice is, Tom. It's keeping in mind that no, you can't I'll take hear. the cannoli. I'll take the cannoli. Right, that's true. That's how you would end up uh, activating the vetoes with that particular phrase. Mm-hmm. But it's keeping in mind that you would have to hear the choice I say first and then veto it before we ultimately yes. go with the other choice he hadn't heard. And same thing for his bad choices. So keeping that in mind, Scott... For my two good choices, number between one and ten. Mm. Fitting with this episode, I will pick number three. Okay. At number two, I have a movie I haven't seen, and is one of these that I heard so much about. I've seen so many parodies of this movie, but I've never seen it, and I've wanted to for so long, and I have a good excuse right here to do it. I have 1990s Ghost. Oh, my darling. Hell yeah, dude. Ghost is a classic. Ghost scared the piss out of me when I was a kid. One scene in particular, and you'll know exactly the scene. Believe me. It's going to scare you. You're going to cry. You might, For many reasons. <laughs> That's true. For many reasons, I'm sure. Uh, so I'm guessing you're not going to veto this thing. You're not going to take the cannoli? No, no, no. Because God forbid what the next choice is. Good Lord. Well, the other choice I had on the opposite end here, at number seven, I had the uh, Best Picture winning film from Guillermo del Toro, The Shape of Water. Oh, that's a good one, too. But I think we got more to talk about with Ghost, to be honest. That's true. We just did del Toro anyway. We'll do we'll do another del Toro some other time. She does bang the creature from the Black Lagoon. There's a lot to talk about there. That's yeah. true. And the, and the Academy awarded it handsomely. I love The Shape of Water. I do think that's Guillermo's best English movie. There's a reason why it won. I think it's wonderful top to bottom. Uh, I've never seen Ghost because... You fear seeing a movie that you've ex- been exposed to through so much cultural osmosis. But I know Ghost has fans, and it was loved at the time it came out. So have fun. Well, we'll have fun. But let's see what we're having fun with as the bad choice between Adam's two bad choices. Scott. Let's stick with the family and go with Fanine. <laughs> at number 10, I have the all-star Vanessa Hudgens. One of the Olsons and Alex Fitfifer, Fighter, uh, whatever the fuck, Beastly. Oh, Beastly. Yes! Adam, I'll tell you straight up, I'm not taking the cannoli on this because Beastly is a movie we must talk about. We must talk about Beastly in full detail. But what was your other choice? Uh, I had uh, another one of those fucking shitty YAs that came out where it's like nobody asked for this many of them and it's uh, Blood and Chocolate. Ooh, I've heard I've heard some bad so, things about blood and chocolate. Fuck, <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> All right, so we'll be watching some beastly ghosts come uh, next time. They'll they'll be uh, they'll be very interesting. But until then, everybody, it's time we end this like a DreamWorks movie where we play an overplayed '70s song and dance to it. Let's dance, everybody. You make me feel. Now I'm a believer. Oh no, we gotta get out of here. Family.
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.